Price for Wednesday, July 26, 2023. We're coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. If you need lodging out by the airport, might we suggest the Western Wall Center YVR get some rest in those plush, heavenly beds. Matt Sikers alongside Jeff Patterson, sitting in for Blake Price this week. Grace Sasson and Switches conducting things. And this show, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group. We're right now at Applewood Nissan Richmond, Applewood Nissan Langley, Applewood Nissan Surrey. You can get into the 23 Murano starting at $135 weekly, the 23 Pathfinder starting at $318 biweekly, or the 23 Frontier at $644 monthly. Because, Jeff Patterson, as they say, it's all good at Applewood. Yes, indeed. Bodog poll question today, and we were waiting for the Sebastian Ajo penny to drop. And turns out it's far more than a penny. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, he has re-signed with the Carolina Hurricanes. Details on that in a moment. Is he an Elias Pettersson comparable? Some would say yes. What number will Elias Pettersson's contract extension begin with? You can vote 9, as in 9 million, 10, 11, or 12. Vote at Sikerson Price on Twitter. Vote all your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. And Bodog line of the day from me, the Lions are an eight-point favorite in Edmonton on Saturday. I'm a believer in Dane Evans. He is going to be the starting quarterback. I'm going to lay the points. I mean, with that Lions defense, that Edmonton offense, BC could score on defense <laughs> and cover eight. Record-setting 21st straight home loss in the offing for the Elks should they lose this one. Leo's minus eight on your Bodog line of the day. All right, Jeff, answer me the poll. What do you think this salary begins with for Pedersen on this extension? I've always thought that it would start with a 10, Matt, but yep. I will say there are mitigating factors here now that have me leaning closer to 11. I'm now, is Elias Pedersen a million dollars a year better than Sebastian Ajo? Certainly, Pedersen has had better single seasons in both goals and points. Mm-hmm. He's been a better point-per-game producer over his young career. Ajo has twice been an 80-point guy. Pedersen has only got there once, mm-hmm. so the Canucks would use that against Pedersen in their their argument. And Ajo has a body of work in the playoffs that mm-hmm. Pedersen cannot touch. But Elias Pedersen has done more at a younger age than Sebastian Ajo. He's about 15 months younger. He was two drafts later than Ajo, but remember that Pedersen's a late birthday to November birthday. Yes. And I just think with the prospect of the salary cap ballooning, now the Ajo camp also had that as a backdrop as well. Mm-hmm. They're negotiating with Carolina Hurricanes who watch every penny that they spend. We know that the Canucks have been known to overspend at times. I, I do think with J.P. Barry and Pat Brisson doing his bidding, that Elias Pettersson's going to be able to push a number closer to 11. Mm-hmm. I think it'll start with a 10, but I think he's got a strong case to get a bump on what Sebastian Ajo agreed to. Like, that's a nice contract for Ajo. And this birthday thing is like caught him at Ardside, his contract on his birthday last week. And now Sebastian Ajo on his 26th, yes. uh, he gets 78 million bucks. That's a nice birthday present. I just, I think Elias Pettersson, and it's important too, negotiating off a platform year 
in which, and that's to suggest that Patterson gets a deal done this offseason, and there's no guarantee that's going to happen. But he's got a 102-point season in his back pocket. And he's a better defensive player, Jeff. He got selkie votes that seventh, Sebastian yeah. Ajo did no, not No, you're right. Yeah. Uh, but the platform season, like, Ajo's coming off a 71-point. Like, it wasn't anywhere close to his career best. And Elias Pettersson mm-hmm. would be negotiating off a 102-point season as well. So I do think all the factors, Matt, line up to me to suggest that Elias Pettersson could absolutely sit across the table from the Vancouver Canucks and say, I deserve more than Sebastian Ajo. Give me more than Sebastian Ajo. But I do think that this is a new baseline because even J.P. Barry himself has mentioned that the Matt Barzell contract that was signed on the island at 9.13, that was a comparable mm-hmm. that would be brought up and used uh, in these negotiations. Well, I think Sebastian Ajo has now raised the bar. And, and, and with all due respect to the Coquitlam kid, Patterson's better than him too. For sure. Yeah. I voted 11. Did you? Okay. Well, I, I voted 11. I think there's a chance if you're done this summer, maybe it starts with a 10. That's the other but danger. Once you, but, but as you know, Jeff, pro sports, there's a significant inflationary cost year to year. Sure. So, you know, for me, if this lingers into the season or next summer, especially if Pedersen has the sort of year that we are anticipating, even if he doesn't necessarily get to the point totals that he got last year, I think that's 11. Because the other thing, and you touched on it as well, the Carolina Hurricanes draw lines in the sand in negotiations. They are willing to walk. If the player and agent don't agree to their price point. You see where this AAV came in, Jeff. Just shy of $10 million. I would bet my bottom dollar that Tom Dunn and Dom Waddell said, we're not going to $10 million per. Right. This is a big spend. This is the biggest contract in Carolina Hurricanes history. Mm -hmm. But it had the potential to be even bigger. And I think you're right. right. The $10 million, it was absolutely a line in the sand. And I think the word is out. Vancouver knows this. In trade negotiations, I think agents do the same thing. You're desperate, Vancouver. You don't have the leverage. We know you'll move because you've moved in the past on these contracts. You've been overly generous in the past. So I just think the Canucks are an easier mark than the Carolina Hurricanes when you talk about contract extensions and negotiating with agents across the league. So I think, too, the danger is that if Elias Pettersson absolutely explodes, like 102 points wasn't already, but if it goes mm-hmm. up from there... You know, the meter is only running now if you're the Vancouver Canucks. And I do think the one cautionary note in all of this is Elias Pettersson himself acknowledged that that last round of contract talks, and remember he started the missed training camp, started the year in Michigan with Quinn Hughes, and he acknowledged that it impacted him, that it weighed on him. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the guy is an incredible hockey player, but I also think that you know, he has shown us that he's a human at times, and mm-hmm. you know, like we're talking somewhere north of $80 million. You can understand how that would weigh on on somebody. So I do think there would be a benefit for Elias Pettersson to get this done sooner rather than later, and certainly not have this be an issue a year from now when you would be in Matthew Kachuk territory in yep. Calgary, and then it could go sideways well, in a real a, hurry. A, and there's a part of me that wonders, Jeff, if we can play out the doomsday scenarios, there's a part of me that wonders whether Elias wants to wait and see if the Vancouver Canucks are worthy going forward. 
there's also a part of me that would worry he hasn't ever been made a top priority in an offseason. He's your best player. So I, I do wonder whether feathers are ruffled or could be ruffled. Again, that's the doomsday scenario. Hey, the dream scenario, Elias Pettersson comes to an agreement this summer and it comes in team-friendly because he wants to leave some on the table to improve the supporting cast around him. But That's I think today's possible. today's news takes anything with a nine, I think, uh, out, of the out of the equation. I think you're right. If you were dreaming that the Canucks could get him on this contract, yep. uh, I would say that ship has now sailed. And, you know, we'll see where it goes. I mean, but I'm with you that, really, if you're Elias Patterson and you're sitting back and you're thinking, all right, like Ian Cole and Carson Soucy and yep. Teddy Bluger, they address needs, they can help with the penalty kill, but they don't do a lot to help with the heavy lifting no. around here. No. And so they don't really do much to set any kind of framework of what the first bunch of years of this contract would look like if you're Elias Pettersson. And the concerns have been, and they remain, that they haven't done a good enough job of surrounding him and Quinn Hughes with better players. And so, yeah, I could see if he and his camp want to sort of take uh, a beat here. You know, where you say the Canucks haven't made him a priority— we don't know that the Canucks haven't been on the phone every day to J.P. Barry and saying, let's get this thing going. But I mean in the takes, past, Jeff. Fair I, enough. But it, it, like, Because I've seen a lot on Twitter today of people are saying, like, get it done. You know, just give him ten and a half and get it done. It takes two sides here. Like, uh, Pedersen and his camp get a say in this. Like, it's not just the Canucks sliding a check across the table. 10.5 might get it done. That might be a starting point for these negotiations. And, of course... One thing that isn't quite as widely known or referenced when we talk about this, and we've had many agents and NHL executives mention this to us in the past, including our friend Chris Gear, who we're going to get to here in a second, but oftentimes these contracts now work backwards towards average annual value. So term, no trade clause, signing bonuses, when the signing bonuses come into play, before you get into average annual value. The other thing that's big with agents that, again, we don't necessarily talk about perhaps as much as we should, fans and media, and that is percentage of the salary cap. That is a very good figure and tactic that agents will look at when they're signing these extensions. It's not just the average annual value and the term, but what percentage of the salary cap is your player taking because, of course, the salary cap is a floating target year to year. It has gone up minimally $1 million per season here over the last couple. But needless to say, it's taking a big jump next year, Jeff. And I do think that J.P. Barry and Pat Persson and Camp Elias are firmly aware of that and will want to negotiate a percentage of the cap based on where it's likely to go in these coming seasons. A little bit of context here. There are currently, heading into this new season, eight players in the NHL that carry an AAV that starts with an 11 or more. Two of them are Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon's new deal kicks in. Elias Pettersson is not in that stratosphere. There are five forwards. So of the eight, three are defensemen. Take them out of the equation. I know there are some that are thinking, okay, the Ajo shoe fell. The Austin Matthews one is the other. Mm -hmm. Matthews is a better player. He's more accomplished. He's a a better goal scorer. It's an MVP. And 
like I'm curious, just and this is me reading the tea leaves, I'm not convinced that Austin Matthews is going to go max deal with mm-hmm. the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, there's a lot of talk he's not going to sign max term. Right. Um, which is interesting. Uh, but hey, as you will. I mean, you leave money on the table, but I also think, like, Austin Matthews has given the Toronto Maple Leafs just about everything they could have asked since the day that they drafted him. If he doesn't go max term and agrees to five more years, like, you know, are they, in five years, a legitimate contention window for the Leafs? Sure. I think they're in one now. They just can't. Yeah. Well, they got out of the first round, but yeah. now they got to go no, a little it. bit further. But, you know, like, there's a part of me that thinks Elias Pettersson wouldn't want to leave $30 million on the table. No, but, no one would. But I could also see him, he's a pretty shrewd operator, I could see him saying to the Canucks, like, I'll give you five more good years, but I'm not giving you eight yeah. because I haven't seen. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying there, Jeff. It's just, you know, the agents and, and the accountants are in the... No, they want money in They're the, saying, no, get every dollar you sure. can right now and then we'll figure it out later. Uh, I mentioned Chris Gear, former Canucks assistant general manager, his tweet on the Aho contract, the uh, at... Van Geerman. The Aho deal coming in at under $10 million is actually okay for the Canucks, in my opinion. Petey will likely get a little bump, higher platform year, point total, two years younger. But Aho is a very comparable center. The deal is also a year away from kicking in. And North Carolina isn't a tax-free state. It's another big thing that now comes into play. Sure. Tax-free jurisdictions. If you can play in Nevada, if you can play in Florida and some of these places where your $10 million or your $11 million, $9 million goes a lot further than it does in a tax jurisdiction like British Columbia, Canada. Here's cap friendly. Most comparable. So you're on the side of this is pretty good for the Canucks. This is a decent comparable. Cap friendly. Other side of the coin. Sebastian Ajo. Most comparable contracts. Alexander Barkov, Dylan Larkin, Bo Horvat. Barkov, $10 million times eight. Larkin 8.7 by 8, and of course we know Bo 8.5 by 8. And there may even be a difference there between Barkoff, Larkin, and Horvat. But Patterson's better than those guys. Sure. You could make a case for Barkoff, but he's not the point producer that Elias Patterson is, as good as he is defensively, and he may be on the short list of centers who are better defensively than Elias Patterson. So, going to be interesting to see. Uh where this goes and whether it's this summer or whether we're talking about something that is going to go in season, because as you know, Jeff, covering this club, an RFA at the end of the year, Elias Patterson, even if he wants to say, hey, I'm going to address this in training camp and not again, will be something lingering over him and the hockey club as we go through the season. Yesterday, and we have talked this week, themed this week on the Vancouver Canucks and what it will take to get them into contender status for the Stanley Cup and what's prevented them, prevented them from getting there to date. How many players away are the Canucks from Stanley Cup contention? We had two, three, four, or other as options. 1,500-plus votes. What won the poll? Uh, I'm going to say that somehow optimism carried the day, and people are going to say two. It was four. No. <laughs> They were with us, Jeff. Fifty-seven percent voted four. All right. Twenty-four percent voted three. Only eleven percent voted two. Good. And, I mean, and I, other got eight percent. I, I misread the rules. Eyes wide open. But I'm Canuck glad. Nation yeah, is. No, I'm glad yeah. to, to hear that. 
Uh, Brent says two. Unfortunately, their names are Connor McDavid and Kale <laughs> McCarr. We had some very humorous re- replies to you. It's been a good week in the comments on the Bodog poll question. Colin and Planning says new owner. And then uh, Sazen for every season says, I love quizzes where there is no wrong answer. And yes, uh, a lot of the polls here this week have been in the eye of the beholder. I wanted to get to this as well because we talked yesterday about what's holding the Vancouver Canucks back from being a contender. And we both agreed that second line center, third line center remain big holes. Realize JT Miller holds down second line center right now and does so competently. A lot of us believe he's a better winger. Get in on the four check, fewer defensive responsibilities. And if you were to happen to lose Pedersen or your second line center to injury, he would be very capable as a fill in. But a headline from offside in the day in, in the Daily Hive: The Montreal Canadiens have too many centers. Come on, How's that is possible? there such a thing? Look. Nick Suzuki is their star. They acquired Kirby Dock a year ago at the draft. He's a big, young, right right shot center. Resigned Sean Monahan mm-hmm. after the year he had there. And just acquired our uh, old friend Alex Newhook, the former Victoria Grizzly BCHLer from Colorado. Jake Evans, Christian Dvorak, Rem Pitlick. The other guys who can play center in the Montreal lineup, Jeff. Evans is a pretty handy player. Had a 13-goal year two years ago. Now, slid, backslid terribly last year to two goals in 54 games. But he's on a 1.7 ticket, UFA at 20, uh, 2025. He was also pretty good in their playoff run before getting hurt. All right, got steamrolled Yes, Mark Shifley. Dvorak with a 10-goal season last year. Now, he's more expensive at 4.45. Money would have to go the other way. But Dvorak, he's 27. Now, he's a lefty. Evans a righty. And then you got Pitlick, also a left, also a lefty. He was six goals in forty six games last year. He's a one point one million dollar guy, UFA next summer. He, he's the third choice here in terms of minutes played. He was down less than thirteen minutes. Evans played fourteen and a half minutes. Dvorak played nearly seventeen last year for the Montreal Canadiens. Is there a guy there who can help the Canucks? Well, if, the three, you're, if the you're four. dealing from surplus, if you're the Montreal Canadiens, is there someone there that makes sense for Vancouver? Well, the three that you mentioned, Evans jumped out at me as the right shot guy. And penalty killer. And that 13-goal season. Now, it's the outlier because all of his it other is. years have been two and three-goal seasons. Well, but he had one. Okay, he had one. Uh, no, you're right. Sorry. I was looking at someone else. <laughs> That's all right. I but, thought he had another double-digit goal season. He did not. But like my issue with Teddy Bluger as a third-line center is he can win faceoffs and kill penalties, but I don't think there's enough offensive flare there, mm-hmm. uh, not only to fill in if something goes sideways above him, but I just, to me, in the contemporary NHL, like I'd like I'd on a good team, I'd like my third-line setter to sort of be in the 30, 35-point range. Yeah. Christian Dvorak's totals in the NHL, 33-point season, 37-point season, 38, 31, 33, <laughs> And then 28 last year in 64 games yeah. with the Montreal Canadiens. Like he's been productive and consistent around that 30 to 35 point mark. Yes, he is. And it's funny because when you mentioned Evans was 27, I don't know. Dvorak feels like he's been around a little bit longer than that. I, I was surprised to see he that. He played young, as I recall. Right. And just turned 27 in February. So mm-hmm. this will be his 27 year old season coming up. Second round pick back in 2014. 
And I hear all that. It's just he's the four point four million dollar guy. So and that's a left where that guy, where so right, that's where yep. the money has to go back. Whereas I think Evans and Pitlick, you can add without really having to do many cap gymnastics. And of course, as you mentioned, Evans is the right shot guy. Bluger is another lefty for the Vancouver Canucks in the faceoff circle. So just a few, we've talked about Pius Suter a little bit, just as a UFA who would seem to fit the bill, and he's still out there. And fair enough. But I do wonder about trade possibilities. <coughs> Excuse me. And there are very few teams that can say they have a surplus of centers. Yeah. And would be willing to deal one by camp. Montreal may be one of those teams. Moving on to the British Columbia Lions. Uh, as Rick Campbell foreshadowed with us on Monday, Dane Evans will be your starting quarterback in Edmonton on Saturday. He needs the reps this week. Coach Campbell was very strict about the fact that, look, with our practice schedule, backups don't get a lot of reps. And so I need to know early in the week if Vernon Adams is good to go. We're not going to play this up to kickoff game because I need to get Evans ready. So they're playing the long game here on Vernon Adams. It does not sound like a bad injury at all. It looked terrible, but heard from me. Coach Campbell put it at one to two weeks hearing the Lions are very optimistic about Vernon Adams playing next week in Winnipeg if need be. So Dane Evans gets a start here, and let's remember, this is a guy who led Hamilton to a couple of great cups. He is a very accomplished backup in the Canadian Football League. The other thing that's happening Saturday in Edmonton, and good on the Elks because this is a pattern for them, and they appear to be leaders in this field, Last year, they did the first Indigenous language broadcast of a game in Cree. And this Saturday, the Elks are partnering to put on the first Punjabi broadcast of a CFL game. It can be heard across Alberta on radio. And Harpreet Pander and Takdir Tyndall, who work on the Hockey Night in Canada Punjabi broadcast, are going to call the game. And needless to say, Alberta, British Columbia, provinces two and three, three and two, respectively, in terms of the number of Punjabi Canadians. So a very, very um, appropriate game chosen for the first Punjabi language broadcast of a Canadian football league game. Yeah, I love that. That's, uh, you know, little steps, but steps in the right direction. Uh, inclusivity and, and diversity and everything else. And, and I could see the Lions trying something like yes. that out here at some point. And we didn't mention this earlier in the week, but we should before it gets too far in the rearview mirror. Uh, and I think Jim Mullen was the one that brought it up yes. when Dana Evans got into the ball game the other day and Mason Fine for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, two quarterbacks with strong indigenous backgrounds, both of them American, but mm-hmm. still. like uh, I've messaged with Jim. President of Football Canada, since that tweet. I think if Jim could do it again, he would specify North American Indigenous simply because I asked him, I said, Jim, Polynesians are Indigenous people too. Yes. We've certainly had a lot of Polynesian football players, particularly Samoan football players over the years. Of course, the great Joe Pow Pow here, Jeremiah Mazzoli, who's an injured starting quarterback right now for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Jim's very good on this stuff. He racked his brain. He couldn't think of anybody who jumped out at him who was Polynesian, who would have played against Pow Pow or would have played against Masoli. 
sometimes though the last names aren't always indicative of the heritage so that that's sort of out there but yes sure. that was a very no, whether good the find. first or the oh, second it, it, it was still a very good mission yeah absolutely absolutely Canada at the World Cup and boy did they need this one Jeff and I'm so pleased to see that they were able to get a victory. I'm so pleased that they were able to put aside all the politics and everything that's happening. And there was another volley yesterday with the men's players telling Canada soccer sponsors to stop using their name, image, and likeness. And so it's still messy on the political front between Canadian soccer players and their National Sports Federation. But on the backs of a bunch of British Columbians, actually, today, Canada 2 Ireland won. This was pretty much a must-get after the disappointing draw against Nigeria. You're still facing the host Australians, the Matildas, in front of what will likely be a sold-out house of 70,000-plus. Coquitlam's Gila Grasso contributing on the first goal winds up being an own goal. Adriana Leone, the other goal scorer here. And then some... Really good work from a couple of the substitutes, and Coach Bev Priestman is getting a lot of accolades here for her tactics, bringing on Abbotsford Sophie Schmidt, who did very well, Chloe Lacasse as well. So the result and the game that Canada needed, they're the second team at this tournament to erase a lead and and come back for victory. I know you got up early to watch it. What did you make of the reigning Olympic champions here in what was effectively a must-win at the FIFA Women's World Cup. Right. So I got up and missed the first eight minutes, and it was already one nothing Ireland. Canada conceded. I don't know if you've seen the highlight. It was a brutal goal. Like, off a corner kick directly into the net. Like, where's the keeper? Where's somebody at the back post? Steph Labe, we need you. <laughs> yeah. Like, at that level, you can't have somebody curling a corner kick into your net directly untouched. But that's what happened. And so just a brutal start for a team that you know, was already feeling a little bit of heat. I kind of thought they spun their wheels for most of the first half, generated one shot on target in the first 45 minutes. And we talked about this after the Nigeria game. Possession's fine, but you know that they're going to possess the ball, do something with it. Uh, and then they got the break they needed moments before the half, own goal, off the foot of an Irish player, leveled the score, seemed to allow Canada to exhale and on the flip side, I mean, you're Ireland, you're thinking you're going to get to the break and, you know, up one and, and then force Canada to make some adjustments. The second half, that looked like the Canadian team that, you know, I think a lot of us believe it can be. I think that they believe that they can be. Bev Friesman said that they wobbled in the first half, and I would agree with that. I thought that was a pretty good word and, and word choice. Uh, but, boy, they pushed the play. They took the play to Ireland in the second half. They got the lead, and once they got in front, uh, they were in command. Like, yes, I, I didn't they were. think they were challenged an awful lot. In there that there weren't half. a lot of nervous moments coming no. down the stretch here and goals from open play too, Jeff, yes. that you noted yesterday, which had been missing even in their run to the Olympic gold medal. Chilliwack's Jordan Wiedema also getting some praise for her match here. She was one of many who had opportunities in the Nigeria game and it didn't. And worth noting that Christine Sinclair came on as a substitute first time in her World right. Cup career that she did not start. But we knew this was coming. Yep. We had talked about yep. a different and, and, and reduced role for the now 40-year-old Christine Sinclair, FIFA's all-time goal scorer. And while we're talking footy here, an early error in omission. We were unaware yesterday when we recorded, but MLS has rescheduled 
the Whitecaps and Galaxy in League's Cup. This game was slated for Saturday. It is now going to be Sunday. If you missed the item yesterday, Club Leon had a devil of a time getting out of Vancouver. There was a logistical mistake on MLS's end in getting them out and down to L.A., so that game was pushed back. We thought for a second here that Galaxy would have to play the Caps on short rest. I suspect that they lobbied MLS and said, why would Club Leon's travel pitfalls cost us a day of recovery before our match against Vancouver? They won the argument, so it's going to be a Sunday match for the Whitecaps and LA Galaxy. And as we mentioned to you yesterday, the Seas are back at the Nat this week. It's a Friday nooner. It's a Saturday fireworks. And what Tyler Zickel called the wackiest game of the year last night for the Vancouver Canadians. They were no hit through 11 innings. It's insane. Before Devontae Brown and Michael Turconi delivered with one out in the 12, another walk-off for the Seas. Four different Canadians pitchers through multiple scoreless innings to keep their team in the game while the bats did absolutely nothing until the 12th inning and after 34 outs had been recorded by um, by the Everett Club. Like how many times in baseball history, at any level of organized baseball history, would you see a no-hitter into, into the, the 12th, 12th inning? <laughs> And then to get your first hit of the night and end up winning the ball game yep. on a walk-off. So we talked about the Mariners and their comeback and the Blue Jays and their blown lead. Like it was a crazy yes, night in baseball. It was a crazy night in baseball. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by De Dutch, De Breakfast, De Brunch, De Lunch. Get it all. At De Dutch, we're getting the hashtags where yes, the Blue Jays and Mariners feature, as does Quinn Hughes. And one year to the Paris Olympics. Guest today, Rick Celebrini, the Director of Sports Medicine and Performance for the Golden State Warriors. Of course, once upon a time, held a similar role with the Vancouver Canucks, with Vancouver Whitecaps FC, where once upon a time he was a player, with the 2010 Olympic team. Of course, a world-renowned and leading physiotherapist alongside Dr. Alex McKechnie. Of course, those two gentlemen have put our town on the map. Mm. In that field. And, uh, oh yeah, he's a dad. He's got a couple kids you might have heard of already. Aiden Celebrini, Vancouver Canucks draft pick from last month. Macklin Celebrini, the presumptive first pick in next year's NHL draft. And the two younger ones are pretty good athletes as well. So great catching up with Rick. Talk to him about his children, about the path they've chosen, about his role in it. Macklin right now is overcoming a pretty significant shoulder injury. He also gives us the lowdown on some of the personalities in that Warriors room. Steph Curry and Draymond Green, who have taken an active interest in the Celebrini children and their athletic exploits. We'll go to the people after that. Never a bad time to send Sikharsen Price a hot take. Tell me I'm wrong. A comment. On anything you hear here on the show or see on social media, you can email live at sakarisonprice.com, text 778-402-9680, the Great Clips text message inbox, and of course on Twitter, at Sakarison Price. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing Neighborhood Brewing Workshop Spirits, and the weather's getting a little cooler, but we're still pretending we're thriving in the summer. That summer heat. 
with workshop spirits. Ombre margarita. Hi there, hard lemon iced tea. And hi there, our peach iced tea. Will keep you feeling tropical all year long. End of the workday. Treat yourself to a yellow dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious. Probably not. But I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here. Right now. One of the staples of Vancouver Canucks messaging over this decade of despair has been improvement from within. Think of it. How many times have you heard a Canucks coach or official talk about improvement? Even player. Improvement from within. And for many years, there was plenty of potential. Before Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Thatcher Demko turned into the NHL stars they are today. But how much improvement from within is actually left on this roster? Undoubtedly, youngsters such as Vasily Putkols and Nils Hoaglander can and need to be better. Nils Oman, Archer Siloffs, free agent collegians, Akito Hirose, Cole McWard, they could also help the improvement from within costs. It's worth wondering how much more the club can squeeze out of their three stars. Winger Andre Kuzmenko, after a sensational first NHL campaign, can he be that good again? Does he actually have another gear? Guys like Dakota Joshua, Phil DiGiuseppe, Christian Willanen, they all punched above their weight class, I would argue, last year. But improvement from within comes in many shapes and forms. It's not just young players taking the next step or stars turning into superstars. There are also the bounce-back candidates. And Lord knows we have spent a lot of time talking about that class of player over the last 10 years. Once again, the Canucks will head into a season with several players on hot seats looking to improve on campaigns that fell short of expectations. Brock Besser, Connor Garland, they're on this list for a second year running. Tyler Myers back on the list after an uneven 22-23 season. Perhaps even Anthony Beauvillier qualifies after just three points in his final 11 games with the Canucks and a dreadful start with the New York Islanders before the trade. But here's the thing about bounce-back candidates. Good teams have very few of them, and they don't tend to be up-the-lineup players. So when we talk about the Canucks taking the step into Stanley Cup contention, as we have all week, we'll know they've arrived when we aren't going through this annual summer song and dance. That's Welcome Matt for today. We invite your feedback. Feedback channels as follows on email, live at securesomeprice.com. You can text Seven seven eight four zero two ninety six eighty, the Great Clips text message inbox on Twitter at Matt Sikers, at Sikers and Price, Northlands Golf Course, Metro Vancouver's premier public golf course. Jeff, we're out there playing tomorrow. Can't wait. You can book your tee time ninety days in advance. Join the loyalty program. Price your next round could be free. The patio's gorgeous on a sunny summer day like today. Details golfnorthlands.com. 
I don't think there's much doubt that Thatcher Demko is the biggest bounce-back candidate after the start that he had prior to the injury. Uh, they need him to play like he did mm-hmm. coming off the injury. But it's something that I was thinking about writing for the Hockey News. I think Thatcher Demko remains this team's biggest breakout candidate as well. And that may sound odd, but like we've seen Thatcher Demko do it in games. We've seen him do it in a bubble he had that month in December when Travis Green got fired and Bruce took over where he was one of the three stars of the league for a month. But start to finish, like I still think when I look, like I'm not sure that Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes have a whole lot more to give yeah. offensively. JT Miller, 99-point season, I don't think we'll ever see anything close to that again. I do think Thatcher Demko has the capacity, start to finish, yeah. to have a year that he has not had yet in the National Hockey League. And perhaps I'm guilty of just thinking he's going to be automatic this year. And and I think a lot of fans just believe, ah, it was health last year. He'll be fine. I think the organization believes that too. But I think that's very wise that you could be on a bounce back and a breakout list. And that's bold, Jeff, that you think he can be even better than two years ago because, good God, was he sensational a couple of years ago, and of course, we saw, and with all due respect to King Richard Berdur and Kirk McLean and Roberto Luongo, but that bubble playoffs, and I know it was in the bubble, but that's just about the best goaltending the Vancouver Canucks franchise has ever seen, as good as he was in that postseason. But when I look back at that year that had him, the month that I mentioned of December of 2021, I suppose, like for that season, he had a 915 save percentage. What if he can get to 925 and keep it yep. there for an entire year? He's got the potential. And that's why I say, like, you know, even though he's been around a while and has shown, I mean, he got a Vesna vote a couple of years ago as well, I still think he has a career year in him. And if so, I mean, that changes the conversation about this team, you know, getting to its stated goal of being a playoff, uh, I was going to say a playoff contender. Uh, I'm still not sure they're a Stanley Cup contender, but with an elite Demko, I do think that they could very well be a playoff team. So here's the price from Wall Center presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Hashtags is the best and worst of Twitter. Jeff Patterson would please lead us off. All right, I'm going to start with one from Puckpedia at Puckpedia. We talked earlier about Sebastian Ajo and his deal. What I liked about this tweet from Puckpedia, though, was they lay out the date that the the signing bonuses are going to be paid out to Sebastian Ajo. Very good, Hart Levine. Well done. Sebastian Ajo's signing bonuses will be paid annually on October 1st, Ah. except for year three, when it'll be paid out on July 15th. Sure, there's significance and strategy to all of that, but with all the talk about Tyler Myers and when and if, uh, I like the fact that that's been laid out. That we would like to have that as a standard reporting yes. procedure on these NHL deals. Make life a lot easier. July 15th, three years from now. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Dundon's accountants are so good that they forecast like his liquidity <laughs> three to four years down the road. At Pass It to Bullis, Daniel Wagner, for the first time in his life, Quinn Hughes was truly happy. He was convinced that he broke a golf ball with one mighty swing 
but it was just a prank. So this video dates to last September and the NHL media tour in Las Vegas where Jack and Quinn Hughes were participants on a golf simulator. And Jack gets up and hits a drive, and it's a good one. And then Quinn gets up and hits a drive, and this is all at the uh, orchestration of Keith Yandel. Mm-hmm. In his caddy outfit. Yes, a uh, noted prankster in the NHL. So Quinn steps up, and they play the old exploding golf ball trick on him. Only Quinn doesn't seem to know of the exploding golf ball, or at least plays it so dumb intentionally that it's equally hilarious talking about how he broke the golf ball and that he is taking that driver home with him. I'm not You're skeptical. It. I'm not You're buying skeptical. it. Like, if you follow Quinn Hughes on social media, you'll see throughout the summer months the brothers and other hockey players, they're out playing golf all the time. Like He is a golfer. He's got a decent swing when you look at the video. Yeah. Anybody that has set foot on a golf course knows the old exploding golf ball gag. Like, I just, I can't. I can't buy that he didn't know what was going on. I, I, but I do love the way that he played the fact that he smashed this ball so hard it broke into all kinds of pieces. Mm-hmm. I'm taking the driver. Yes. <laughs> I, I also think it's a competitive thing with Jack. Like, oh, Jack, you're out there 280. Guess what? I broke the golf ball. Lots of Canucks, too, roasting him on Oh, Instagram yeah. No, I know. So that, I hear what you're saying, Jeff, but I think just... Knowing Quinn's personality, like he was stumped in the moment, even though he has all that experience playing. But based on some of the Canucks players' reactions, That's it. it seems sincere. Uh, including Bo Horvat chimed uh, on it. So I, I, is there a little naivete there with Hughes? Maybe. Perhaps. That might be his brand amongst some of the Canucks who know him well. Uh, I've got one from Matt Beauvais, at Matt underscore Beauvais. He's a sports director at a Buffalo television station. Some pictures are worth more than a thousand words. Hashtag Bills Mafia. And he's attached a photo of Damar Hamlin walking out of the tunnel with his helmet on. Wow. At Bills training camp. And um, fantastic job by the ESPYs to honor the medical team. Medical teams, plural. Yeah. Uh, the Buffalo Bills, Cincinnati Bengals. And at the stadium there in Cincinnati as their team of the year. Uh, with Demar on stage, who got quite emotional mm-hmm. uh, about it all, this is uh, just an incredible story and and real life heroes there, uh, who got Demar Hamlin revived on the field. And then I saw Demar Hamlin yesterday sending his love to Bronny James and yeah. the James family as well. So. Scary moment for Bronny. Yeah. Well, we talked about how awesome that Blue Jays-Mariners series was in Seattle down the I-5. Well, the late-game heroics or collapses continue with the two Major League Baseball clubs of interest here in BC. At ESPN Stats Info, the Mariners had lost 580 straight road games when trailing by four-plus runs in the eighth inning or later. They last won against the White Sox in 1991, the first year of New Comiskey Park. That streak ended tonight. It sure did. 9-7, Seattle wins in Minnesota, Minnesota, scoring seven runs in the eighth and ninth inning. And then later in the evening, the Blue Jays blow a four-run lead in the ninth inning at Dodger Stadium with ex-Mariner Eric Swanson on the mound. 
because closer Jordan Romano is unavailable, and that was a devastating loss for the Blues. I mean, Shulman and Martinez were always talking about, oh, get this one. You've won the series with the day game going tomorrow, but Swanson wasn't able to get the job done. It goes into extras. There are mistakes here from the Blue Jays left and right yet again. They're still not a great fundamental baseball team. I mean, even two managers after Gibby were still not a fundamental, fundamentally good club. So uh, the uh, the M's pick up some ground on Toronto and on the wild card race. And I, look, I got a cop to this one. I watched Danny <laughs> Jansen clear the bases in the top of the ninth to put the Jays up seven to four. Mm-hmm. And foolishly, after watching the Mariners series on the weekend, I gave the Jays and their bullpen the benefit of the doubt. I wanted to get up early to watch women's soccer, yep. and I thought, all right, seven four. This is home and cooled out. I'm shutting things down, and I turned the TV off, went to bed, and I did like the ultimate double take this morning when I got up and saw that the Dodgers yeah. had come all the way back and won it in extras. So, yeah, that's uh, be interesting to see how the and you said quick turnaround day game. Uh, see how the Blue Jays sort of pick themselves up and, and dust themselves off after that. Mm, one. They better add some bullpen help here. Well, uh, I mean, they made a trade yesterday with St. Louis. They brought in a uh, a, a reliever. It is not exactly outside of Otani. There's not a lot of great availability here on this trade market. Deadline is on Tuesday. I mean, maybe one of the older starters in New York, Verlander or Scherzer. I mean, uh, Cody Bellinger might be the best hitter available, and he's, yeah, whatever. So it's going to be interesting to see. I'm just, I'm not convinced this Blue Jays team can make noise. And, And here's the other thing. I think as it stands now, you have to say they made two bad trades last winter. With how desperate they are for a middle-of-the-order bat, I mean, Swanson's been good, but he hasn't been great. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez would still look very good in the middle of that order. I know there was a clubhouse consideration there. And then Varsho just hasn't hit. I mean, you you like everything about Varsho. He looks like an athlete. He runs. He throws. Strong. But he's just not hitting at a level. And, okay, great defense in left field. It was left field. Uh, and then you take a look at what that cost. Griel is having a nice year in Arizona. And Moreno is an up-and-coming catcher. So there is some fixing to do with this Jays roster. And as we've talked about, DePoto f- faces another crossroads there in Seattle. Your starting pitching is so good. Can you go out and get a bat or two that makes a difference? between now and Tuesday. Uh, lastly, for me, at Sportsnet, you know it's the one-year countdown to the Paris Olympics? I saw that over the weekend uh, on the British Open coverage. So, mm-hmm. yes, I, it was on the radar at the very least. Canada appears on track to make noise just over a year from now at the Paris Olympics. This is a tweet from a couple of weeks back. Over the next few months, we'll get a better idea how Canadians stack up against top Olympic contenders. Uh, Look, there would be a number of British Columbia athletes on the rowing team, basketball, soccer. Shout out to Richmond's Cameron Rogers and the hammer throw silver at the world's last year. That's a medal hopeful next year. And then Jeff to Philip Kim, Vancouver's Philip Kim, AKA Phil wizard. The number one ranked competitor 
in a new sport making its an Olympic debut next year. Breakdancing. Breakdancing. Right. We could take the gold in breakdancing <laughs> if Phil Wizard comes through in the clutch. I'm on the Phil Wizard train. Oh, absolutely. Already. Oh, you love the name. You, you, oh, <laughs> absolutely. Go get him, Phil Wizard. And that's hashtags for today. Harrison Price from Wall Center, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. And at Applewood Kia Surrey, Applewood Kia Langley, get you into the 2023 Nero EV. This is the electric vehicle from Kia. And we're starting at $44,995, 6.49% for up to 84 months, $0 down, go on out. And see it for yourself, because as you know, it's all good at Applewood. Bodog poll question today. We are asking you, what number does Elias Pedersen's contract extension begin with? And we think we've got all our bases covered here. Starts with a 9, a 10, 11, or 12. You can vote at Sikarison Price on Twitter. Bodog, your source, free casino games, poker strategy, and sports odds. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin, 35 to 1 to win the 3M Open in the Twin Cities this weekend. He's tied for the 10th shortest odds in a field that's missing some star power. Good opportunity here for Hadwin before the PGA playoffs on your Bodog line of the day. Our next guest is the Director of Sports Medicine and Performance for the Golden State Warriors in the NBA. He has held similar positions with the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver Whitecaps FC, the 2010 Olympics. He is, in fact, a former Whitecap as well. We're not going to sell him short with his own athletic career. World-renowned physiotherapist. Our friend Rick Celebrini back here on Sakarison Price. Rick, how you doing? I'm great, guys. Thanks for having me on. You're more than welcome. We find you in Boston today. Whatever could you be up to in Boston these days? Well, as usual, when I'm not working, I'm at a rink. Um these guys around so i'm just catching a little five on five here action in in uh, beautiful boston massachusetts are aiden and macklin both there uh in the program with the terriers at boston university they are yes yes we have um aiden's sort of full go with with boston but obviously macklin's recovering from a shoulder uh, surgery so he's not he's not participating in the scrimmages or any sort of contact but he's out there you know doing drills and and skating um, it was one month ago when your eldest, Aiden, heard his name called by the Vancouver Canucks at the NHL entry draft. We had him on that day. He was absolutely beaming, Rick. Uh, tell us the story of how you and the rest of the family found out about the news. Well, I was actually at work. We had the uh, the draft up on the TV with no sound on because we were obviously focused on, on our guys, our process, our players, and and uh, all of a sudden, I saw Aiden's name up on the board. Um, obviously, I kept on sort of checking and, and you know, the nervous father uh, in me sort of wondering, you know, when or if he was going to get drafted. And to see him sort of pop up with the Canucks logo beside his name was was, uh, was pretty cool and um, really uh, a lot of pride and a lot of uh, this real sort of happiness seeing, seeing, you know, all that hard work pay off. Macklin gets... 
a lot of the headlines, obviously, because of what's to come here and, and next year's draft. But Aiden, as the older brother, how has he handled uh, sort of Macklin's rise to uh, celebrity status, if you will? I think it's tough on any kid. And, you know, as a parent, you you want them all to sort of thrive and, and find their own path. And, you know, it's tough, especially as an older brother, to, you know, in some ways almost live in his younger brother's shadow. Um, so for him to to persevere, to overcome a lot of, di- you know, different disappointments along the way and not maybe have the same early success that Macklin had, um, I think, one, it, it, it was really challenging on Aiden. But I, I honestly believe that it, it also helped him become who he is today, which is a a very sort of tough-minded uh, and, and resilient young man. Rick, we just watched it all, and, and because he was from North Van, the, the Connor Bedard sort of story resonated, I think, more uh, with us here in Vancouver. And now we're going to do it again next year with another you know Vancouver kid that's likely to go first overall uh, in the National Hockey League draft. I mean, a credit to you as parents for, for raising a, par- a player that's put himself in this position, but... Uh, how do you think Macklin is going to handle uh, all uh, and and he's been dealing with scrutiny obviously for a while now but uh, just tell us a little bit from the the dad's perspective uh, how you think he's going to handle this next year Yeah obviously it's uh, you know it's it's um we don't know we've not been through this before so it's there's a lot of unknown and and therefore a lot of trepidation at the same time I think if uh you know as you said um knowing Macklin he's got uh um First and foremost, I think a really good head on his shoulders and that he, he understands what's important and that is to, to stay focused on his process. It's such a cliche, but it's it's never more true than in a situation like this where there's so many distractions. Um, and he uh, he truly just loves playing hockey. And the, the more he can kind of focus on that and um, minimize the distractions, minimize the, the, the noise around him um, that is... You know, it, it comes with the territory, and it's 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 an incredible, it's a dream come true. But at the same time, it it really is. Uh, you know, for for both my boys being exposed to you know the Steve Nashes and the Steph Curry's and all these guys, and see how they sort of normalize all that in the end, I think hopefully he can draw on some of those types of observa- observations or experiences to to really understand that it's it, it's really just that it's 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 not anything that he needs to um, worry about or, or sort of uh, start to think about or talk about, it's, it, that stuff's going to happen, and he just needs to sort of stay grounded and, and focus on what matters. Where is he in his time frame of recovery here? Is he going to be ready for the start? Like, Is he going to have a, a full hockey season? He'll be close. He'll be close, yeah. I mean, right now he's obviously no contact. He's... he's um, we just met with a surgeon in, in Colorado uh, recently, and, and he was very pleased with his progress. So, um, you know, I think right now with these types of procedures, we just want to make sure that we, we uh, give him time and be patient with him. And um, he'll be ready, you know, close to um, the start of the season. may not be ready right for the beginning of the season, but um, shortly thereafter. Hey, Rick, you've worked with these absolute global superstars in the NBA, working with them, sometimes on them on global television. Recall Kevin Durant in the NBA Finals, but I understand that this patient might be the one you're most nervous about, working with Macklin in his rehab. There's a lot on the line here, Dad. Yeah, no, I know. It's 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 funny because um, it's a totally different situation, just given the circumstances and the context of what we're dealing with here. It's And, and it's when... You know, when it's your son, it's a different type of relationship. Um, you've obviously got to, uh, 
um, I always say, you know, even the most informed and educated athlete cannot guide their own process. And so for um, and part of that is because of the emotions and the, um, the subjectivity that's tied into that. You can't stay objective. Um, and so with Macklin, I, I've got to sort of separate the professional in me from the, the father in me and, and make sure that we just, you know, um, don't get away from, from, from the job, at hand, which is to make sure he, he does a great job with his rehab. We talked to Aiden on draft day and he told us stories about hanging out after practice on the ice and playing around with guys like Alex Burroughs and Zach Cassian and Dan Hamhues. What do you recall about the boys at that time when your work, when your office was Rogers arena and how influential do you think it was on the two of them? Yeah. I, you know, as you guys know, you guys know this better than anybody that the, the world of professional sports, it, it takes a lot out of you. And, um, it's, there's a lot of demands, um, you know, in the family, uh, probably suffers the most um, you know we get a lot of the the, the perks and the benefits um, but one of the, the you know the benefits for the family in this particular case was for the boys to be around that environment um, and you know to see those uh, names that you just brought up and you know the Kevin BX's and the, and the Sedins and the um, Alex Edler's uh, Hammer you know um, just true professionals and to see them go about their business you know, I think either by direct observation or, or even just indirectly by osmosis, they're, they're picking up little things. And, and um, I think that can only benefit them. And, and to understand, probably most importantly, that behind all the cameras and all the you know, glitz and glamour, and especially true in the NBA, there's a hell of a lot of hard work and, um, and commitment and discipline that goes into, you know, what we all see as the finished product on the ice or on the court. And, and I think that hopefully is is you know one of the, the main things as well as the fact that those, i mean those guys were all so good uh with the boys and and so um you know just kind of joking around with them and and giving them tips and and just you know being sort of big brothers or, or, or surrogate dads in a lot of cases when i was busy well and, and from that lot rick to as you've already mentioned Steph Curry now and a bunch of Golden State Warriors who I understand take an active interest in Aiden and Macklin and even a road trip to a Chicago Steel game <laughs> earlier this year. Yeah, they've been they've been fantastic. I, you know, I, I tell people all the time, guys. You know, I miss home. I miss Vancouver. I miss you guys. Um, and I I don't think I would be in the NBA if it wasn't for this particular organization. Right from from Bob Myers and, and which sadly we we've lost recently, but. Um, uh, to to uh, stepping back from the role um, and uh, Steve Kerr and and um, the rest of the organizations has been phenomenal. Our core group of players are, are like none other. You know, Steph and Draymond and Clay and uh, Lou and Andre. You know, they're they're they are why I enjoy what I'm doing um, right now. And to your point, there is a really a real sense of, of family. And you know, when when uh, the opportunity came up to watch Macklin play in in Chicago. Uh, it was actually Draymond that, that approached me about it. He said, hey, we're going to Chicago. Is Mac playing while we're there? And, uh, you know, so for guys like that to take an interest in your, you know, your family and your kids is, uh, is pretty special, especially in the world of the NBA. Uh, let me take you back to your first year with Golden State, the NBA Finals, and across the way is your mentor, Alex, Mc- Alex McKechnie. Kevin Durant goes down in a game. Rick, it seemed like an awful. You got a ring now, so I could I could ask you, I could ask you. But that first year and that finals versus Toronto versus Alex, with everything you had going on from a player health st- health standpoint, with Kevin, 
and with Clay Thompson. Uh, boy, it was quite an awakening, I'm sure, to NBA life in your new role. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, you know, again, I, I reflect back at that season being sort of a microcosm of really the whole time spent down there with, with you know, COVID and, and the um, political unrest and um, uh, racist um, uh, events that, that sort of transpired. And, you know, I tell people all the time, it, it truly was best and the worst of, of, of everything that life kind of can throw at you. And, and um, you know, when I signed up uh, for the Warriors, I remember Bob Myers saying to me, you know, Rick, he goes like, I, I don't know that I can promise you a championship. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, you guys just, you know, most, one of the most dominant teams in history. And, and uh, but he said, you know, what I can promise you is, is good people, good, good, and you know, good environment, good um, uh, situation where people look after each other. And, and it was never more true than in those sort of times. I mean, everyone knows kind of the truth of, you know, what transpired, you know, what you're sort of, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, mentioning. And, and um, at the end of the day, you know, we know that we all took care of each other um, before that, after that. It was a tough um, time um, and, and, uh, and, uh, and losing in the finals was, was really difficult, but um, made it even more sort of sweeter when when we sort of climbed back up the mountain after a couple of tough years and and uh and got back up to the top so um you know again it's just it's just one of those things in life that um you know just make sure you're doing the right things for the right reasons um you're going to take your knocks but you, you you make sure that you you stay true to to you know to who you are and and uh and eventually sort of life um you know pays you back we saw the hole in one. I'm sure you did as well. But I, I was sort of taken by Steph's reaction to winning that golf tournament, and I guess that just speaks to the competitor yes, that he Steph, is. It, you know, Steve, whatever the pursuit and is. Have, have commented on the sort of baby face assassin, and and I mean, Steph is um, truly, and I'll, I'll say this. I mean, not that it hasn't been said before, but one of the most generous, um, kind, uh, you know, incredible human beings that I've ever come across. Um, but when he gets onto the onto the basketball court whether he's training or whether he's you know competing in a game he's he's he locks in and, and he has this um this compete i know you're awfully busy with your nba job rick but you're a former white cap you're a former employee of connect sports entertainment how much do you keep up with the local teams back home here well i um before I tuck in every night, I, I check in on, on, on the complete sort of Vancouver sports scene, um, especially those two teams. But, but, uh, I, I mean, and that's every day since I left. So I'm, I'm still very much, uh, involved. I, I, um, I talk to, you know, individuals, um, from time to time and catch up on a personal and a professional level. And, um, I, I'm, I'm extremely interested in, in the goings on, uh, especially like you said, with, with those two teams. Mm. And before we let you get out of here, we can't uh, we can't not ask about the two youngest, Aiden and Macklin's sister Charlie, who's one heck of a tennis player. In fact, I think she's playing here this week. And uh, little brother RJ, bring us up to date on their exploits athletically. Yeah, Charlie, uh, our 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 uh, our daughter is is. Um is uh, working up the tennis ranks. She's uh, involved with Tennis Canada, which has such a great development program out of the North Shore Winter Club there as well. And uh, she's in the, the U18 Provincial. She's, she just turned 14 years old. So she's she's uh, playing that then off to Belgium for uh, for a few weeks for a couple of tournaments and then to Montreal for the Clay Court Nationals. Um, so 
Um, she's she's again learning learning the ropes along that line, and and RJ is our our little guy that kind of gets uh, towed around, you know, when we're running after the two older ones and, and Charlie, and and he's uh, he's an aspiring hockey player, but he plays you know all different sports right now, basketball and soccer, and uh, he's the he's the one that never could stop smiling. Yeah. Well, uh, we look forward to uh, when they all go pro, the first family of Vancouver sports, the Celebrinis. Great catching up with you again, my friend. Good to see your face, hear your voice. Thank you for this and all the best this summer and, and beyond, Rick. Thanks a lot, guys. Really appreciate you having me on and uh, take care. Say hi, to, say hi to everyone up there for me. Oh, to the people. To the people. Yes. Let's, let's go to those people, shall we? Have to go to the people. I miss the people there. It's been a long, frustrating time for people here. To the people we go. And to the people we go, brought to you by our man of the people, Jason Hominick of Jason Dodd Mortgage. And a reminder, Jason doesn't just do residential mortgages. He does commercial mortgages as well. If you're a business owner looking to buy your building, a builder, developer, looking for options beyond your bank, get Jason's expert opinion. You can find him at jason.mortgage. Jeff, we're going to start with the interview we did with Rob Williams last Thursday and a reply from Gordon who says, and I know you're very keen to look at these things, I get the feeling Demko plays the first 13 games this season based on the way Tockett played him during a stretch of meaningless games when he was coming off an injury from being overplayed down the stretch the previous season. We know the importance of the Vancouver Canucks getting off to a good start. They've been buried two years running here in October. Do you think Tockett rides his horse early so that that doesn't happen for a third straight year? I do. I expect that to happen. And it's interesting to note that, and I'd have to, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but the 13 games, they have one back-to-back in that stretch, and it's at home. So no travel he could very well play both of those games they've got a difficult start to the schedule back to back with the Oilers out on that road trip they see the Oilers three in their first dozen games like it's not going to be an easy start I wrote a piece at the Hockey News about uh, I'd have to refresh my memory but it's something like in their first 14 games they see nine of the top power plays from last season knowing their penalty kill issues uh again like it's not going to be easy so yes Mm. i mean what's the the common denominator through all of this if they want to get off to a good start is getting thatcher demko into a groove early and then riding him but the danger there is Mm. they saw two years ago that they overplayed him and they ran him into dust and if they're going to be a playoff team it's not just about getting to the playoffs you want thatcher demko healthy and rested and ready to go when the postseason rolls around so i don't know if they if he starts 13 straight off the hop but i get where yes the contributor is coming from a couple of nfl hot takes here training camps in session now jc there will be two NFL receivers this year with more than 2,000 yards. That's a big swing because the record is 1964 by Calvin Johnson in 2012. Cooper Cup got the only other 1,900-yard season in 2021. So for two of them to get let's get one man on, on the moon. Over. Wow, Jay. <laughs> Jefferson, 1,800 last year. Yeah. That was the high mark. Yeah, yeah but that's not 2,000. <laughs> no, that's, yeah. I mean, he was nearly 200 yards shy of 2,000. 17-game seasons now, though, so a little bit of context there. And I don't know if he feels that Miami and Tyreek Hill is ready to break out, if uh, 
Stephon Diggs can get there in Buffalo if maybe Aaron Rodgers turns Garrett Wilson coming off his fine rookie year. But I can't feel this one uh, beyond Luke. Jay. Yeah, let's let's start with one two thousand yard receiver. Where are you where are you going then? Yeah, that's Luke. Luke. Pretty, 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 pretty good. Jason and Cloverdale. Belichick will get fired for missing the playoffs. Jerry Jones will fire Mike McCarthy for losing the playoffs, clearing the way for Belichick oh. to be hired. As coach with GM duties, Jason, if he gets GM in Dallas, that means the owner has to give up the duties. He is owner slash general manager, which, I mean, you got to admire the honesty at the very least of Jerry Jones going, no, no, I'm going to run personnel. I like that. That that sizzles to me. That sizzles to you? There's just a lot going on there, but there's an element that could. So I'm going hot, and I'm going to throw it to Grady to break the tie here for two reasons. Number one, Jerry Jones is the GM in Dallas. Number two, I have always felt if Belichick is going to go elsewhere, it's going to go, he's going to go back to the New York Giants where he knows the Mara family, he knows what he's getting into. Jerry Jones is a walking, talking, daily distraction. I don't see that being on brand for the hoodie. Even if he's a little more desperate. Uh, so I'm going hot. Grady, break the tie. Oh. Summer Sizzler. There we go. On the Hockey Night in Canada panel, Leaf says Ron McLean is trying way too hard with all the wordplay. It's true. It's like a walking, talking Sudoku. Did I say that right? Sudoku? Sudoku, I think. Sudoku. Yeah. I believe it's called Puckdoku. Yeah, now. there's Puckdoku now. Uh, this is, well, Connor Bedard has fans. Jeffrey, who I'm going to guess is on the North Shore. Hawks will win another Stanley Cup before the Canucks oh. win their first. And sad news out of Chicago yesterday where the owner of the franchise, Rocky Wirtz, passes suddenly at age 70. Now, you may recall before the sexual assault scandal with Kyle Beach and the cover-up with the Blackhawks, for which Rocky Wirtz was very fairly criticized, and frankly, uh, embarrassed himself in the organization in that one defined press conference. Oh, you may remember. Yes. When are we going to stop talking? But we've moved on. Um, but before so that, he so was responsible for turning the Blackhawks around after the mismanagement of his old man, right. Bill Wirtz. You now wonder whether it falls to Danny Wirtz, his son, to clean up the mess that he inherits from his father. And of course, Connor Bedard is going to be quite a salve, quite a deodorant for that franchise going forward. And, hey, it's a deep rebuild, and there's picks there. Could you see the rise of the young Hawks again here over the next few years? Yeah, absolutely. Bill passed away before Kane and Taves' rookie season. Now Rocky passes away before Bedard's rookie season. Uh, Our friend Tom in Chicago actually texted me on that yesterday, Jeff, that the similarities here are quite quite striking. How many players are the Canucks away from contention? Yesterday's Bodog poll question. Coca-Cola Kid says being able to draft value in the middle and later rounds of the draft would be a step in the right direction. That's very fair. That's what has lacked with the Canucks and being in being able to fill in some of these gaps in the lineup. Scott says how many? Depends on the type. They need a third line center that can generate some offense and win faceoffs. They need to hit on a prospect whether it's who's got Jolson here who is yeah, Beyond not a prospect, prospect age. But Colson or Hoaglander, I can I can abide them 
as prospect. Lawrence says two more top four D because Cole and Susie should ideally be the third pair and first penalty killer. Need a third line center, a winger to replace Besser or Pearson. None of our wingers, other than the aforementioned, will be good enough for second line duty to bookend with McKayev. Pearson should not play second line minutes. I'm not sure Besser will ever come back to his former glory. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, look, we talked about it uh, on, I guess, Tuesday's show. You know, to be contenders, like, do they have the guys that have that DNA in them to play when the chips are down? And we just don't know because they never get mm-hmm. to the playoffs. But the one playoff appearance for so many of these guys gave you reason for for belief. I mean, the, it was the bubble, and so it was unique circumstances, obviously. But Patterson and Hughes and Besser, right? I mean, those were all and, first time in the mm-hmm. Stanley Cup playoffs play. for them. And, you know, they played hard. Demko did his thing. Bubble Demko, obviously... I mean, for a short minute there, the Canucks yep. were a sexy team. No, they were. And Coming. they played against tough physical teams like Vegas, Minnesota, St. Louis. Yep. they all big bodies. Although St. Louis has since said, oh, weren't we weren't really. into that uh, yeah. as defending cup champions. That was not the Stanley Cup playoffs, which could well be an excuse. The way they look, though, in that series, they look, I mean, just so drab from the get-go. On Besser ever hitting 30 goals, Rome says, whole year healthy. Playing on top six with first unit power play time in a career year, sure. Besser can do 30 goals, but I think that's his absolute ceiling. User says, Brett all at a lousy first stride, and that didn't seem to matter. Brock should have at least one season with health and decent power play time before he's done. I would argue it was a different NHL and a slower NHL when Brett Hall and his bad first stride was scoring 70, 80, 90. Some pretty good players he had around him, too. Uh, well, one of the great all-time centermen, too, a setup man in Adam Oates. And then James takes a little issue with you here, J-Pat. Jeff Patterson says, quote, talk is cheap in relation to Brock Besser. This is completely unfair. When you asked Brock when he was going to score 30, what did you want him to say? Never? He'd prefer to score 30? Move off this quote, dude. It was in response to a leading question. It's absurd you're still invoking it. Rebuttal, Jeff? Thought it was a pretty fair question at the time. Stand by that. All these months later, basically prefaced it and said, look, there's been all this talk throughout your time as a Canuck that you're going to be a 30-goal scorer. Is this the season? And until he does that, the question will be out there. I mean, I get the psyche of a pro athlete. Of course, he's going to say this is the year. He's not going to, no, this is, no, check back with me. No, but he could have answered it in a more uh, uh, qualified way. And he chose to take it straight on and say this is the year. And I love the confidence at the time. Canucks Nation loved the confidence at the time. We all feel that Brock has that capacity. And then two days later, he broke yeah, his hand and that just started you know, and I, that's been part of the Brock Besser story here too it has just when he's lifting off or you know hitting the heights you hope he hits there's a big injury there was suggestion there about first unit power play time and I just don't I don't know I mean Hughes yeah. Miller Pedersen Kuzmenko Manko. is Besser I mean they like the left if they're going to run the same formations now Jason King's not here maybe they'll completely overhaul the way they run their power play, but they like a left shot guy in the, in the bumper, bumper and that's, and that's not Brock Besser. Yeah. So I don't know if Brock Besser gets first unit power play time or if he might be a featured guy on the second unit, but look right now, the second unit doesn't have a centerman. Uh, mm-hmm. Second unit generally doesn't get a lot of time. Best case scenario is the second unit 
isn't needed that the first unit scores every time Do you out. Think so, on whether or not the Canucks would be a contender now if they had kept all those traded out draft picks, Chris says not necessarily, but they'd presumably have cap space. For that last decade, they've tried to build the team back up via free agency and trades. It hasn't worked. Their best free agent signing was Kuzmenko. When you do it the other way, like the Canucks, you tend to overpay and get yourself in cap trouble. We've seen this. And then our video on worst trade in Canucks history. Marcus and Gibson says Neely and the pick big time. That was Sackick's draft year. Just think. <laughs> uh, and then we both noted this. Greg, Rick Vive and Bill Durlago for the vastly overrated Tiger Williams and Jerry Butler, we couldn't believe the old fogies yeah. relitigating that trade in our mentions. Uh, and uh, for the record, that one's on the podium as well. Rick Vive turned in a heck of a goal scorer in Toronto. And, and Tiger Williams, while he was a great character, was not nearly the player Vive was. Incredibly nice man to Rick Vive if you've ever come across him. Yeah, and look, Tiger Williams was part of that 82 team, so he served a purpose. Um, but he wasn't the goal scorer, obviously, that Rick Vive was. And Builder Lego, unfortunately for him, suffered a hip injury relatively early in his career, was never the player that uh, I'm sure he hoped that he was going to become. But uh, yeah, I was just surprised because it wasn't just one. I mean, there were a few people that chimed in on on that conversation, and it just, uh, yeah, hadn't thought about uh, that deal uh, for many, many years. A 40-year trade here. Yeah. Canuck Nation still debating it. So here's some price from All Center presentation of Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Errors and omissions from yesterday's program. We already uh, accounted for the Caps game now moved to Sunday against LA Galaxy. Uh, you mentioned Brooke Henderson, your choice to repeat as the Evian championship on the LPGA Tour. I asked based on a really not great season for Brooke. How many were at shorter odds than Brooke going into this tournament? And the answer is 13. So, you know, that's kind of where she is now. Uh, uh, totally. Uh, outside of the top 10, but solidly top 25 LPGA Tour player. Yeah, and, and she finished 12th at the U.S. Open, and without her best stuff. And, and that's how talented she is. Yes. That, you know, when she's not firing on all cylinders, she's still one of the best in the world. But it's just the lack of weekly contention and she's mm -hmm. missed her last two cuts so i'm not surprised that there are uh, double digits ahead of her jeff i know you've been on this train for years uh, frankly i think bob weeks and others in the golf media in this country have been on this train for years but if this continues are we finally going to get the break with dad as the coach and get a different coach in there and maybe a new perspective and just a different voice, perhaps. I know no it's sense. a family. It just, it, I know it's a family business for for sure. them with her sister on the bag and, and tremendous, like great stuff. We talked to Rick Celebrini today, talking about family business, right? If you can bring all the family with you, it makes tour life much easier. You don't have those sacrifices that you make if you are a, a lone wolf professional. 
But I just think this scenario is screaming out for a, a new coach and just a change-up here to see if you can kickstart one of the most talented players in the world. Yeah, and look, putting holds her back. It always has. You know, Rory McIlroy, he goes and works with Brad Faxon, who was one of the greatest putters of his generation. Like, Why wouldn't you seek out? She's got the financial wherewithal. Like, There are, I'm sure, people knocking down the door to work with her. So, yeah, oh like, I'm, I'm with you. I'm all for family to a point, but, mm-hmm. you know, you only get one shot at this career. Make the, It's been a great one, yes. but could it be even better? I would oh, for sure. Yes. For sure. Bodog line of the daytime with Jeff Patterson. Bodog, your source for casino games, poker strategy, sports odds. So you like what you got. I like this one. I'm going with a three ball in the first round of the 3M championship. Uh, PGA Tour is back on this side of the Atlantic in Minnesota. And Bodog offers up groups of three players and you just have to have the guy in the first round who goes the lowest sep straka won the john deere two weeks ago was second was very at the open championship so he's clearly in a groove right now you know if he's got a little gas left in the tank he's in a threesome with tony finau and hideki matsuyama and you can get straka to be the low man in that group on thursday at plus 200 on your bodog line of the day he had three birdie putts Sunday that were all makeable, and if he makes them all, he's right there on Harmon's tail, and you wonder if we do get well, a dramatic yeah, finish. They need somebody to, you know, just Straka was the guy, T to Green. He right, was raised he the played tremendously. He just didn't make putts and makeable putts with that open championship Sunday pressure. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder to subscribe to us and Rinkwide wherever you get your podcasts. And then follow us on all the social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Threads, Grady. And, of course, support the community sponsors you hear us talking about. Keep it local.